Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to Crossing Broadcast. Yeah, I'm not Kyle Scott. My name is Adam Lefko. Kyle, he went to the pen and he said, Lefko, can you go in and host? So I'm with Kyle. I'm with Russell Joy. The boys are back in town. And I'd first like to say I apologize for ditching you guys on Monday. I feel really bad about it. I'm really sorry. You take a day off and then you come back and you're and you're running the show. So uh, I know. a couple days of doing sit-ups in your driveway and here I am on the sidelines. Divas, am I the TO of this podcast? Am I the you TO might of this podcast? Judging uh, by the comments, Hall of Fame, maybe. Yeah. That's such a diva move. Adam, it's good to have you back. Uh, Kyle and I were just staring longingly into each other's eyes the other day and and it just wasn't just wasn't quite the same. Man. I'm sorry I missed that magic. For people that don't realize, Crossing Broadcast is a show that we do uh, three times per week. We It comes out at around 7 a.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We want to hit you up on your commute so you don't have to deal with a lot of the dribble that is on your radio dial these days. So please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and if you could leave us a five-star review, we'd really appreciate it. And then as always, if you comment with a five-star star review there is a 99.9 percent chance that we will read it on the podcast because those are the ones that we really care about uh we're gonna get to a lot today from kyle lowry to matt harvey being ditched by his girlfriend to the possible uh sports bubble popping and we are going to be premiering the first ever top five bottom five worst media in philadelphia kyle scott is officially making a list he has checked it never. It is a one-time <laughs> list, and it is going to grow from here on out. I think it's going to be very exciting. Um, I heard one of the comments last week, GM Brake, saying, why is it so hard to look at and, and respect Doug Peterson as a legit NFL coach? Um, Kyle kind of filled me in. Russ, what was your take? Why do you have a hard time with, with trusting and respecting Doug Peterson? It's just because he's Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. He's going to throw a football over a mountain. And I, I think it's his hair, his visor, general aloofness, and just looking like somebody's stepdad that's trying to fit in. I think the stepdad line is – I'm just going to comment really quick and then we'll move on from there. Um, I think the issue is that it always felt like a light version of Andy Reid. Um, I think that after uh, Chip Kelly, it always felt like to me that Jeff Lurie uh, felt – like unsure. Like that was his big decision. He put a lot of eggs into that basket. And when it blew up in his face, he went back to the same well in which he had all those years of success with big red, which was Doug Peterson. He coached under him in Philadelphia. He was the first coach for Andy Reed before Donovan McNabb. He coached under him under Kansas city. He took the blame for the clock fiasco and the playoffs for the chiefs against the Patriots. And it always seemed to me as the, lesser of the coaches between him and Andy Reid. So I still think that Doug is in Andy's shadow. And I think that that has been magnified by Andy's success in Kansas city. The fact that a Andy has a very good team right now, and we're constantly reminded what once was. Um, and then I think the other thing is he'll never be what chip Kelly was in a press conference. 
I mean, Chip Kelly, say all you want, was magnificent with a microphone. He could do whatever he wanted to the media. He was Belichickian in his ways of dismissing things and the ways he could be coy and challenge dumb questions. And to the thing that we love, he would bring out the best in the media because if you ask Chip Kelly a dumb question, he would say you asked a dumb question. And the egos of these media people, that there's nothing better than that. So that's my take. I don't think he has a signature win yet, uh, other than maybe Pittsburgh in week three, which surprised a lot of people last year. But I just also think it's the way he carries himself. How many times does Kyle write an article mainly going, why is Doug saying the most, like, why is Doug saying this out loud so everybody can hear it? Um, and I think it's okay, like you said with Uncle Rico, he seems a little aloof sometimes. Um so that's kind of my breakdown. What do you guys think? Do you agree, disagree? Yeah, I mean, that was my take the other day. Andy Reid light is what I called him. It's not yeah. like he hasn't – he just hasn't – it's not that he can't be a good coach. There were definitely signs the first three weeks last year that he could make something – make absolutely make lemonade, uh, lemonade out of lemons. Um, and he got, he got really inventive given the pieces the Eagles had last year, lots of screenplays, uh, to the point where it was almost comical by the end of the year. But that said, he didn't have a lot, of, lot to work with. My problem is that, just like you said, it's, it's Jeffrey Lurie trying to bring Andy Reid 2.0 back in and recreate this era of a time gone by, and Peterson has done nothing. He called half the plays uh, for half of the game for half a season, or half the plays for mm -hmm. half a season. Um, then before that, he was coaching high school football, and he was a bad quarterback before that. So it's not that he can't be a good coach. I'm sure he studied diligently under Andy Reid, but like it, he, he has no track record. There is nothing to go on. It's like, yep, Doug Peterson is an NFL mind. So that's the lack of respect is because I think he looks like a boob and he doesn't have a track record. So those, Oof. those two things add up to, uh, did you hear that Russ? He called him a, a looking, looking like a boob, a boob. A boob. You're as, a real boob, Doug P. As a commenter said yesterday, I am the Ed Rendell of this show. I bring nothing content wise. So I'm just going to say, yeah, all right, let's move Good. on. Good point, Balkan. I like it. Um, all right, so I want to go on to Lowry, Kyle Lowry, mainly because uh, Kyle Scott, you tweeted about it like 28 times yesterday. You are on the I want Kyle Lowry train. I do not think Russ is. Uh, here's kind of the deal. Brian Windhorst went on 97.5 yesterday and says he thinks it's a legit possibility. Uh, Keith Pompey wrote one of Kyle's favorite articles of the year saying that both sides have interest but then never actually mentioned salary implications. Uh, the title of Keith Pompey's article is The Sixers Should Go Hard after Kyle Lowry. Uh, the max deal, if Kyle Lowry was to warrant that for a team that is not known as the Toronto Raptors, will be four years, $152 million. Um, so, Kyle, you are on team I want Kyle Lowry. I've been clear since the beginning. I'm not fully... And it's not just because he went to Villanova. Part of the reason. But I'm not, I've been clear since the beginning. I'm not sitting here saying this is something the Sixers should absolutely do or they absolutely need to do. Um, that said, when his name was floated, floated late last week and then when he announced that he was opting out with the Raptors, the, the trust the process crowd, like knee-jerk reaction, no, 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 
too expensive, doesn't fit our timeline, doesn't fit our timeline, can't happen. And all I'm trying to do is argue the other side of this. I get, believe me, I get that side of the argument. Kyle Lowry is, is already in his 30s. He's going to be expensive. He may not fit the Sixers timeline, but I'll get to that in a second. However, you have to think about what the Sixers are thinking and why this could make sense. First of all, Brian Colangelo signed him in Toronto, and I get the sense that Brian Colangelo is absolutely one of those guys who has his guys and needs to feel needs to validate his prior decisions and bring him along to Philadelphia. So I, I think there's a, there's a chance just for that reason. The Sixers have been looking to add a veteran. Gerald, some uh, Windhorse cited Gerald Henderson. Um, I, I, yeah, he's been around for a while, but he stinks. Like, I, I don't know if that's a good example, but they, are, they have been looking to add a veteran. Lowry would certainly fill that role. As far as the salary goes, yeah, he's expensive. The Sixers have so much cap space, they, they literally don't know what to do with it for the next two years. Lowry could definitely be a problem in year four when you have to pay Ben Simmons, but it wouldn't, he, his max deal would not prevent them from maxing Joel Embiid in a couple of years. So it, the, the salary thing is, is reasonable, and there's definitely analysis to be done there, but I don't think it, it can't be done. The Sixers can absolutely build a winner by taking on a max contract now. Um, and, and my thing is, like, you're going you're gonna to turn Ben Simmons into this sort of hybrid point guard. Uh, he's never really played the position. He was a power forward in college. He's going to be learning on the job. As good as he is, he will be learning on the job. It would be nice to have someone like a Kyle Lowry who could take the pressure off of him, both ball handling and scoring. Um, Lowry played in Toronto with a ball-dominant guard. I think uh, DeMar DeRozan's usage rate was up over 30. It was higher than Lowry's. So Lowry can succeed in an offense that has another guard who needs the ball in his hands, albeit a different type of player. Um, and he's a, he's a Philly guy, so there's definitely going to be interest on Lowry's part. He lives in Villanova over the summer. He works out of Villanova. So yeah, am I biased? Yes. But having watched that guy play for two full years and as much as I could when he's been with Toronto and the Rockets and Memphis, he is a player we would absolutely love here in Philly. He is a he is a good defender. He's a good rebounder. He is super well-rounded. So even when his scoring touch drops off, he's absolutely the sort of veteran guy who could help a team grow. And oh, by the way, this whole timeline thing, I get the Sixers can't compete for a championship next year, but we've seen a healthy Joel Embiid. A healthy Joel Embiid is a top five big man in the league already. If he's healthy for another season and Ben Simmons has a year under his belt and improves, two years from now, the Sixers could be very good in the East. Good enough to beat LeBron? I don't know, but there's also a chance LeBron goes down and and tears his ACL. The guy's never been hurt. I get that, but guys do get hurt in their 30s, and I don't think you could build your entire entire franchise around waiting for LeBron to croak. Um, so I don't so know mainly, if the timeline is no, so three, mainly, four years. So it's mainly because he went to Villanova. So it's mainly Villanova. Pretty much. I'm just, pretty much. I'm, I saw him jump into the stands once at the Palestra, and I fell in love with him. I fell Adam, did you hear what with, uh, Anthony Gargano just said? He's a Philly guy, Bo. Like, come on. Like, no. It, it's it's just atrocious. There is no reason to go after Kyle Lowry at almost $40 million per year. Just because you have cap space doesn't mean you need to blow it on a stupid contract. You do have the to only- hit the floor, which the Sixers have not hit the last two. Or they had to back into by taking on contracts at the end of the they season. They backed into and it having cap Having financial flexibility is a big thing. You could make the argument that every year the cap has gone up. 
and it's going to continue to go up. So the hinky days of bailing out a contender by taking on some awful, atrocious contract in exchange for a pick or a potential pick swap is no longer valid. Point taken. But Kyle Lowry as a guy on this team in years three and four would be absolutely dreadful. And it could not only put back the entire process, but it could cause all kinds of issues. Let's just say in theory that Joel Embiid does go down with an injury. He's he's Ugh. tendered he's tendered his uh, qualifying offer in a couple of years, and then he blows out his ACL. He's out for the year. And you're going into free agency with the ability to go after a center because you didn't blow $40 million on Kyle Lowry. I mean, I like having financial flexibility. It's just going to be the way that I always want to see it. And by the way, still do it. You could still do it, though. If I'm going to pick a point guard to go after in this class on the idea that, like, maybe we're going for a real two-year run and somebody to mentor Ben Simmons, I'd rather have Chris Paul. I know Chris Paul has injury concerns, but I would absolutely, any given day of the week, prefer to have a playmaker like Chris Paul and a guy to teach Ben Simmons how to be a professional. I would rather that over Kyle Lowry. Does Lowry know the city? Yes. All right. Is he a good yeah. player? Yes. Are they both on the wrong side of 30? Yes. I would prefer Chris Paul. Do I realize that that means that you're probably looking at a situation where years three and four are also bailout? Yes. But if, if you give me a straight up pick between the two, Lowry might be better off the ball, but I'd rather have Chris Paul any given day. All right, so we're going to we're going to do one more round of everyone talking about this because I think it hits on so many things that you guys hate and that we're all confused by. One, the Philly guy thing. It's that's a local radio thing that I know grinds our gears and it's a hot take that's going to be said all day today on both channels. Uh, your take, um, Kyle, about Colangelo, that it makes sense that it could happen. They had him in Toronto. I agree that it makes sense does not mean that it's the right thing to do. It makes sense from a newsbreaker perspective like there are connections here doesn't mean he's got to do it. I have a few questions here. One. Will he help us bring in free agents in the future? And my question about that is, Kyle Lowry's a guy that goes to the parties. Kyle Lowry's a guy that goes to all-star games. Kyle Lowry's the kind of guy that other NBA stars can look at and go, shoot, Kyle Lowry went there? And that Simmons guy is healthy and Embiid is good? Validation to other free agents. Because when I look at the top free agents, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry likely staying in Golden State. Gordon Hayward either going to Utah or Boston. Blake Griffin reportedly going to Oklahoma City. Chris Paul's probably going to get over $200 million to stay at the Clippers. And then Kyle Lowry. And then Paul Millsap. And then Drew Holiday. So, this is the highest free agent that I've seen in a long time that we can even say the Sixers have a chance in. So I'm curious from the two things. One, will he help us with free agents in the future? Two, if he's a Philly guy, will he take a Philly discount? Because that number that we're talking about, $152 million, he does not deserve and he should not get. We are not paying based on past accomplishments. We are paying based off of ability now and in the future. I'm paying four years for four years. I'm not paying four years for the last three. But so, Adam, in fairness, NBA contracts are given out routinely absolutely. on past practice. Should they be given on what the contract is going to be? Yes. But the NBA may be more than any other sport is absolutely about past practice, hence Kobe. Exactly. Well, and Brian. I, I do not I, – hold on. Last thing I just want to say is, well, then, I just know that the Hinky model was about paying for now and the future, and that's – we all know is smart. 
It's the same thing about seeing the ties between Colangelo and saying that makes sense. I understand it makes sense to pay someone that much money. I don't give a shit about making sense. I give a shit about making right decisions. And so that's my concern is I know that's what they get paid, but if it's going to impact Embiid or Simmons or any other free agents in the future, unless you truly believe this is a culture changer, truly believe this could do big things. I just want to wait out LeBron. I need three or four years because that's how long it's going to take for LeBron to leave. To, to be a little bit less than he is now because it's not worth it if we can't win and we can't win if LeBron's doing his thing. Kyle is literally going to fight me if I don't <laughs> toss it. What's up? All right, so I'll take your two questions in a sec. On your LeBron point, I agree that the East is almost a lost cause for the next few years, but you can't necessarily, and I know Lowry may be escaping to the West for this very reason, which I also think is foolish. You can't build your team solely around the fact that LeBron exists. Anything can happen, okay? You know, Kyrie can get hurt. LeBron, at some point, LeBron is his... His ability to put it all on his shoulders and his age are going to reach a tipping point where he's not going to be able to do it all by himself. Anything can happen to the Cavs. Anything can happen to LeBron. He can get hurt and miss an entire playoffs and open it up for somebody else. Look what happened to Steph Curry last year. He wasn't the same after he tweaked his, what was his ankle or his knee, right? So it's, you, you can't, I get that you have to consider that, but you can't just say, well, we're not, we're not going to do anything for the next three years because LeBron is there. I, I don't think that is totally reasonable. To your points about bringing in free agents. One, uh, yeah, I, I think Lowry would absolutely help draw that guy. This was a point Keith Pompey made yesterday. I don't typically agree with Keith, but because he's on my side here, uh, I'll take him. Um, I, with the argument, to, to me, the biggest argument against Lowry is... That second free agent. If you max Lowry and then you have to max Embiid with, and then you'll have mm. Simmons coming up, you're probably not going to have a lot of space for another free agent, if no. any. So, yes, would he bring guys here? Would he be able to bring in middling guys, pieces to round out the roster? Yeah, I think so, because I think within a year or two, he would make the Sixers a top four team in the East, and then you can absolutely bring in complementary pieces. But you're not going to be able to get another star with Lowry. I think you'd be conceding that... We're expecting Embiid and Lowry to be our stars and then followed quickly by Simmons. I think that would be your, your lineup. To your second point about a salary, I, I totally agree. And that is the argument against this. I am not saying the Sixers should do it. I am trying to say that there is an argument to be made for it, and in, it could make sense. And it's not the craziest thing in the world. And I know all the process people say are married to a timeline. They're married to three-plus years out still. But at the end of the day, you have to look at what you have. Joel Embiid, if he's healthy, is already a top five big man in the league. We saw that next, last year. You add an all-star guard and a superstar rookie alongside him, you're two years away from Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think that is totally unreasonable. Not necessarily like locked in, but it's not unreasonable. And Winhorse said yesterday, he's like, you have to come to terms with these ludicrous contracts. And this will get to the sports bubble conversation we're going to have in a minute. But... Does Kyle, is Kyle, does Kyle Lowry deserve to be the highest, along with Steph Curry, highest and average annual value contract ever in the history of sports? No, absolutely not. But right now, that's the way NBA money is shaking out. 
And if you have to play ball by maxing guys like Kyle Lowry, then that's how you have to play ball. I don't think it's the old signing Chris Webber move that the Sixers would have done 10 years mm. ago. It's, it's adding an all-star who, by the way, just had the best year of his career at 31. He's, he can spot up shoot. He's great from a standing three. He shot over 41% from three this year. He's improving in all regards. He's getting better as he ages. It's at a certain point that will stop, but he is absolutely a guy who could be six, effective all-star caliber for the next two years and effective for all four years. So I'm saying there's an argument to be made for it. That's it. I don't know if it's the right move, but I could see why it would be. Russ, what do you got? This entire conversation is, is hopefully going to be moot. If the Sixers have any kind of luck in the lottery, you get the number one pick and you get Marco Fultz, which automatically solves all of this problem. Uh, it, it absolutely changes the landscape of, what this team looks like. It changes their future trajectory. And yeah, as a process guy, like, yeah, I'm always constantly looking to the future. But in, in that case, I'd rather, you know, pray, hope, uh, you know, pray to the basketball gods and to some dead owner, I guess, like uh, Sam Carcitti said about Ed Snyder and the Flyers luck. I'd rather get lucky and have Mark Fultz than be hamstrung by a Lowry contract. Adam, to your point about, um, you know, waiting out LeBron, I hate to to also point out the fact that if Gordon Hayward goes to Boston, that's another star draw appeal. Where next year in the summer of eighteen, um, the likelihood of another guy defecting to Boston then makes them a perennial contender for the next, you know, not not three to four years. We're talking the next six to eight years. I would be much more concerned about something like that than I would be about waiting out LeBron. I think what Kyle's saying makes sense. That yeah, he could like LeBron could get hurt. It hasn't happened yet. He hasn't gone down for a long enough stretch. And for he better or worse. He hasn't hit his mid-30s I, yet. Yeah, but he's got more tread on the tires, or less tread on the tires at this point than anybody else in the league. How many extra games, how many postseasons does this guy have to go through making the finals, playing all those extra minutes, doing national team minutes, for this guy to actually, you know, I, I don't that's see. What, that's my point. The guy has more mileage on him than maybe any other guy his age. And he hasn't broken down yet. I don't know. Because, I- look, he's, he's like Brady. His health is insane. His body is insane. They're just different. And, and like, to your point about Boston, I could give, like, I couldn't care about Boston. LeBron is a different animal. There's a reason why we argue if he's as good as Jordan, because he's as good as Jordan. And it's it's Great. there. And it's a once-in-a-generation type guy. Um, I, I look, I really look at this and I agree with both of you. I think if they get the first and fourth pick or they get the first pick and we know it's faults, then holy crap, are we excited? If they don't and our, and our, uh, backup plan is getting a former all-star point guard and Kyle Lowry, that's pretty awesome. In my opinion, just as a Sixers fan to think about the development of Simmons and Embiid, I'll never forget the Nerlens Noel quote where he said, man, I really love playing with Ish Smith. That was the best point guard I've had here. And you realize just, they haven't had, it, it could, it could put everybody in their natural positions. So of course I'd be excited for Kyle Lowry, except we're looking at the initial reports, which are four years, 152. And I think 
that is the reason why it's such a debate because Russell is being the responsible parent and saying, kids, we're mortgaging our future. We had a plan. We had a beach house. We had a, a, a school we had to save for college. That's what it feels like right now. And so I want to transition though into the sports bubble that Kyle is also addicted to right now. Uh, this is called the Addicted to Kyle podcast where anything – I just imagine that you have um, – a pinup board with just strings and the sports bubble. And you've attached Kyle Lowry to rights of TV to cord cutting. So where are we right now in the beautiful mind of Kyle Scott and the emerging sports bubble, uh, that's, that's going to take over our landscape. Well, you just discovered my brilliance. This, this is what makes crossing broad. The only site you need to read. So we pick up on a thread, we hammer it to death and bleacher report and bleacher report. How's that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Got Russ uh, Cole from uh, True Detective, yes. leading Crossing Broad, and Russ's combined and Russ's with combined plays. with what's her face in Homeland. Oh, Skyler. Oh wait, no, no, no Carrie, I'm sorry, Carrie, Claire, Claire, Yeah, yeah, Carrie yeah. Madison. I I don't no, know. But, why uh, I break you guy there. This one just happens to fit together nicely. Okay, so we've talked about the cord cutting stuff and why the ESPNs of the world uh, had to lay off people because these sports right deals are going to come up in a few years, and then you see. I knew how much Lowry was going to get, but when D. Lynham tweeted the other night that if he sticks around, it just seeing it in one tweet really encapsulated it for me. If he sticks around in Toronto, it's five years, over $200 million, average annual value of $41 million, it, at least thereabouts. If he gets a max deal elsewhere, four years, $152 million, it averages out to around $38 million per year, give or take. Uh, Steph Curry's probably going to get that money from the Warriors this year, the five-year deal. But that would this deal would more or less make Lowry, along with a guy like Curry, one of the the highest average annual salary ever in the history of sports. Not even Ronaldo and Messi get that from their teams. Now that doesn't include marketing deals and you know Nike's uh, you know LeBron's deal and you know all these other, Ronaldo makes more right. money in endorsements. But salary, strictly speaking, that would make Kyle Lowry one or two all time ever in sports. And my point was that might that might be the peak because right now what has happened over the last few years is all these sports rights have been bid on and locked up for about the next six to ten years depending on the league. Specifically the NBA and NFL deals were insane. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they were in the many of billions. ESPN yeah, there are bees, billions. Many bees. Uh, ESPN, TNT for the NBA, uh, and then it was a group effort, ESPN, CBS, ABC, basically every network in existence on the NFL. They all have you know some share of this. Um, and that has allowed, it, it's happening in baseball. The Phillies get their $2.5 billion contract from Comcast for the next 25 years. All these deals were made by the networks so they could prolong their own existence. Live, t- live sports, live TV and live sports is the one thing keeping people tethered to the cable cord. And now that tether has kind of relatched itself onto streaming services, which look a lot like cable packages where you pay a bill and it go and a portion of that bill goes to all these networks and the ESPNs and sports networks of the world get their money, even from people who might not want their service because it's bundled up with another package. So the economics of that and, and these networks spending, paying the leagues all this money because they needed them to survive, 
It goes to the leagues, and then it filters down to the teams, and then the salary cap gets adjusted based on this total pool of money, and then that goes out to the players, and that's how you wind up with a guy like Kyle Lowry making $40 million. And what I'm saying is, and this isn't really a new topic, but I, I think it's interesting because Kyle Lowry is a great example of how ridiculous this has gotten. Things that look ridiculous usually are. So when these deals come up in the early 2020s, which most of them will, uh, at di- different years, they'll start to come up. Who knows if ESPN's going to have the money to bid what they did, or if the other networks will be able to justify spending that money because they're not going to be able to monetize it as well with advertising on the back end. Right now, a, a CBS pays for the NFL. They pretty much just break even or, tr- or you know, kind of tread water on making money on that directly, but they use it to prop up their other shows like 60 Minutes and CSI, which have higher margins and they could sell ads on. But in, in, in several years, as people... People's viewing changes habit. Your uh, viewing habits change. It's early, guy. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be able to funnel people to these network shows the way you are now. So there's not going to be as much money, I don't think, and a lot of people don't think, being bid on sports in a few years. And I think you're going to see these salary pools come way down. And and just to me, Lowry is the guy who typifies that. The just for some clarity, and then Russ, I'll get to you on this. The deal goes through the 2024-25 season. Uh, it was signed in 2014. It is a nine-year, $24 billion deal with ESPN and my employer, Turner Sports, where they pay around, they combine to pay around $2.6 billion annually to the league. Um, the NBA. I think it's. Clear. Yeah, to, to the NBA. I think it's uh, an interesting time, Russ. Um, I get what we've talked about cord cutting and all this so much. I think Kyle's connecting a lot of stuff with Lowry's contract and all that. I, yeah, I guess the, the question that Kyle's asking is what the hell's going to happen in 2025 when this contract comes up? So, Russ, what would your guess be? My biggest worry is by not having the available pool of money that we're going to be looking at a situation like I think it was the NHL faced, uh, you know, sometime post lockout where you have to cut a ton of money and how are you going to be able to get back under the cap or is the league going to allow teams to way overspend based on like grandfathered contracts and just let owners pay off the remaining balance like say if it's a 40 million dollar annual contract to Lowry but they can only really you know they'll they'll like drop the cap for the average annual um, salary down to like 20 million to allow owners to pay just 20 million out of pocket per year that doesn't count against the cap. Like, I, that's my biggest fear. It doesn't really change the product all that much, but it really could affect your team if, you know, we're looking three, four years down the line. And as a Sixers fan, you're going to have the Embiid's of the world, Simmons coming up on a contract, um, and then some of these other guys that they might, you know, wrangle in free agency. That's that's a really rough spot to be in if you're going to have to start cutting salary back versus a team that right now might be a quasi contender like an Indiana of the world who might lose Paul George. They'll be atrocious for a few years. And then sometime around the time that this bubble could burst and salaries have to be cut back, they might be best poised to uh, have young stars in the draft and, and fit in under the cap. So, like, I'd hate to see all this timing thing, you know, this this long process that we've looked at you know, come back to bite the Sixers, not because it wasn't effective in, in getting star players, but because, you know, a, a bad TV deal and, and the and the TV, you know, sports bubble bursting, you know, blows it up in, in Philly's face. 
maybe it may so maybe I wasn't fully clear, and I know maybe my explanation of it wasn't great. I don't think this affects the Sixers, certainly not the Sixers in the near term. You're still talking about eight years down the road. And I, I don't think anyone knows for sure what this bubble will what sort of impact it will have on teams on the court product. Yeah, I mean it might change the salary cap and I think you'll see lower player salaries. Um, so, and I was talking about all sports in general. I mean, the NBA and the NFL are one and one a, but I mean, baseball has a big deal and their, their ratings are struggling. So you're going to see changes there. I mean, baseball contracts have gotten so out of hand over the last seven or eight years because the regional networks have bid on these long-term rights for their local teams, which has given them money to go out and spend. Uh, and is why you might see Bryce Harper with a three or $400 million contract. So my point about the sports bubble is what's going to happen is you're going to have, the, the economics of viewership won't be the same. So you're not going to have as much money going into these contracts, which means the salaries that we're seeing now, these absurd salaries, and that's why I think Lowry was a good example, will go away. I mean, players are still going to make a lot of money, but I think if that pool shrinks, these huge, massive player salaries will go away. But it will also affect so many, so much money has been dumped into sports from a, from a media standpoint, from a marketing standpoint over these past few years, because it is still propping up an entire industry that is cable television. So uh, when the sports bubble bursts, no one knows what's going to happen. I don't think it affects the encore product, but it does affect the salaries. It does affect the way these games are broadcast and the amount of media surrounding them, because monetizing it isn't a, a, a line from A to B anymore. So I don't know what it means for sports in general, but I think it changes the way sports fit into America because the money the money isn't as clear and ultimately when there's money in something that's what drives it like look what happens when es uh when hockey goes off of espn it becomes somewhat irrelevant and i think you're going to see those sorts of changes like the game itself doesn't change but the circumstances surrounding the games the salaries the way they're broadcast and marketed i think that is what means by the sports bubble all this money that's all, all these jobs that sports are propping up in TV and media, uh, Adam, what you and I do, like all those things could change as this this bubble pops, if that makes sense. I know it's not I think, the best I think there's two options for the bubble. There's two options for the bubble. One, it pops. And every industry from the athletes to what you were just saying is left in a state of uh, chaos. Because that is the number one money pouring in to support all of the lifelines. The other option is the bubble moves and it gets picked up by a Google and Amazon and, and a, one of these online places that has unlimited funds. And now we're watching LeBron on your G chat. You know what I mean? You're, you're watching uh, Kevin Durant pass to Steph Curry uh, on your Netflix uh, and these are all possibilities as well. So either one of the newer companies funds it, but I know that Zuckerberg came out recently and said, uh, we're listening, but we're not, that's not part of our plan, which was a little scary just because, uh, all of the money is in Facebook and Google. And if Facebook saying no, then Google can pick it up, but they could say, cause what'll be interesting is if one of those places picks it up and it starts and then it leaves television. And like you were talking about changing viewer habits, what will that do to TV in the long run? We gotta we gotta move on just because this is a topic that we can spend an hour and a half on. And Kyle came up with another award-winning segment title. Guys, brace yourself. 
He comes out with them, I think, at 2 in the morning. This one's called It Ain't Making Sense. Oh, I oh. thought we were going top five media. We I are thought... going to get there. Okay, all Listen, right. I'm hosting this show now, Kyle. I have a structure <laughs> and there is a flow, and you will let me steer this ship. So first up, it ain't making sense. I am the captain now. I, I am the captain now. Adam Strong Kyle, the sidelines calling for the ball. Yes. Oh, Kyle, I just need to get your one other point because you're you're thinking about money a lot. And you're upset about people talking about money with LeVar Ball. So keep this to like 30 to 40 seconds. Got it. All it right. ain't it, making sense, Kyle Scott. It ain't make sense. All the fucking LeVar, LeVar Ball made $150,000 in one day takes with his shoe. I don't get how many people in the media, and this is sports media and political media, because you saw this during the campaign, have no basic understanding of business. LeVar Ball did not make, he did not net, his family did not clear. These are all things I've actually seen written, $150,000 in, in 24 hours. They sold 263 shoes. They Total revenue was 150000 That is before he's actually made the damn thing. He has no scale. Even if he sells 5,000 of these, that, that is nothing. That is a drop in the hat compared to what the Nikes and Under Armors and um, Adidas's of the world do. He is going to spend well over $200 a shoe to get these made. Oh, never, never mind shipping, logistics, customer service, running the website, probably inev- an inevitable lawsuit. If anything, he clears fifty dollars to $70,000 on that first batch. Most likely, I wouldn't be surprised if he loses money because there's not a lot of demand for his product. With all the free publicity he got all over the internet, it's the most he will ever get. He only sold 263 pairs of shoes. Big baller brand might be a thing if just because it's tied to a potential NBA star, but that was not a successful day, and he did not make $150,000. Someone needs to understand basic revenue and profit. I saw someone refer to profit as revenue. You guys are idiots. He did not make that yes. much money. That's how much he well sold. Well done. Thank you. Kyle, you kept it tight. I'm proud of you. And you you, you even re- rebounded from calling him LaBar Vol, which I thought was really well done. Um, I think to your point, guess what? This is a bubble that will pop LaVar Ball. Like this is LaVar Ball is a bubble and he will pop in front of all of us. The question <laughs> is, are we going to sit there and go, did you see that bubble pop for like weeks? Because that's what we tend to do when people fail. So I, I am going to notion that um, unless Le, uh, La, Lorette, what's his name? What's the Lonzo? kid's name? Alonzo Ball is drafted by no, the just Sixers. Lonzo. Oh, just you're going to get killed Not Alonzo. in the comments. Killed. Dude, I could give two shits about the comment section. I love them, and they give me fuel, but I don't need them. And you're an but NBA guy, is, too. Oh, man, you're going to get Remember, Lonzo, everybody, at Lonzo Adam Lefko on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, at Adam Lefko. Hit me up. Uh, I, like, I like fire emojis and the word lit. Um, if Lonzo Ball is drafted by the Sixers, we are going to have to watch this bubble pop. If he's not, I would prefer not to talk about LeVar Ball a lot because I think he's a bubble. Um, so that's my only thing. Uh, Russ, you loved a Carcidi article, didn't you? I did. You really loved it. This, I, is, is, this is Russ Joy's It Ain't Making Sense. I really love when Flyers beat writers, among all of the others, write about Ed Snyder. And... In an article about how the Flyers' rebuilding plan has taken a shortcut, Sam Carcitti writes that some have suggested that Ed Snyder rest his passionate soul, force the issue by giving the hockey gods a piece of his mind for Leon Stickles' blown non-offside call in the 1980 Stanley Cup Finals and for the 2007 draft drama in which the Flyers were denied a chance to select 
Patrick Kane. He then goes on to say that perhaps if our boy Nico or uh, or Patrick manage to make the Flyers out of training camp, where could they possibly be shifted to? That's right, baby. You heard it here first. The wing on one of the top three lines. Because nothing says Flyers hockey quite like drafting a stud center and moving him out to be the wing. So thank you, Sam Carcitti, for continuing to write crap and for continuing to push on terrible narratives by lazy Flyers beat writers. Thank you so very much. To be fair, and Russ, you, thank, you first on, mentioned thank, that wing possibility. And, and now that's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, he because, mentioned it tongue in cheek. Because that's the crap that the Flyers do. That's why I get so angry. That's why I've been saying it, you know, since we started, is that is the stupid kind of nonsense that Philly teams, I will keep my union comments away today, but my God, the Flyers every time, man. Taking it, centers, pushing them to the wing. Oh, it ain't make sense. Again. It ain't make sense. Guys, I want to no. just say that that is the perfect segue into the first ever inaugural Kyle Scott top five worst Philly media rankings. I'm a little bit nervous because we all like certain people in the media and Kyle's a little ruthless. But what Russell just showed us is in the future, Russell would go, guys, we have a new contender. And he would submit Sam Carcitti to the Kyle Scott. Uh, what is a tribunal when there's only one person, just a judge? Uh, Donald Trump. It? Donald There's Trump. no good name Excuse for me. it. Excuse me, not very nice. Not this guy. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, gotta so have a segment where Russ just does impressions and we great. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But Russ would submit Sam Carcitti, and then we would see if he would make Kyle Scott's rankings, which will be an always living, breathing organism. Mm -hmm. uh, me and Russell have no idea who he's picked, uh, and I'm curious, Kyle. Let's go from five to one on the Kyle Scott top five worst media. Number five. So this is like the preseason rankings. This is sort of based on your history and where you think you're going into the season. So but Alabama's like these, number one. Exactly, more or less, yeah. So the, this kind of goes on popular conjecture, and this will change. There will be some surprises as people insert vibe for the title of True Awfulness. Mm -hmm. This is the portion of the show where Russ does it wandering around his basement getting ready for work, by the way. Uh, yes. <laughs> all right, I'll go quick. So number so, five. Number five. Uh, Tim Panaccio always belongs on this list. Uh -huh. His one sentence, uh, one sentence paragraph game recaps are the epitome of laziness. Uh, he will, he's like the North Carolina of this list. He gets in there even when he's having an off season. He's on top number five four. Sam Carcitti, uh, for all the hey. reasons Russ just said, he is actually worse than Panaccio and uh, a stone cold idiot uh, who I believe. Can, ah, never mind. That's a, a cheap shot. Uh, number number th three. Number three, Marcus Hayes. He's not number one because he's been number three. What? He's been a little bit better of late. He's had a couple. He had a couple of okay articles actually blessing I was the Sixers to these process. Two fans on the Ben Franklin Park. That sucks. And they're surprised. Number three. <laughs> That's. A, it had an okay breakdown of, of Roseman's thinking, so that, that moved him up a little coming into the season. Number two, Jack Number McCaffrey two. from the Delco Times. He is the only guy who hated the Drew Pearson boo, and for that reason alone, he gets number two. And number one, uh, he's going to be tough one. to dethrone here. Go ahead. Oh, okay. No, who's the, number, the number one, Kyle Scott, worst media in Philadelphia is? John Smallwood. His... Uh. It, because not only is he, he's not a, the worst writer of the group, but he has like, he does not un comprehend basic logic. His art, his continual 
shots at the process. I get it if you don't like it, but then when you talk to him on Twitter and you see him interact with people on Twitter who try and explain at least the thinking behind it, his lines of argument just like they just zig and zag off cliffs and stuff. I wish you could see what I'm doing here on the camera. Uh, he, he's an idiot. He's like just an absolute idiot. I've heard he's a nice guy. His writing is fine, but his, his logic and his ability to comprehend like fundamental things is just out of proportion. So right now he I uh, co-endorse that because yeah. John Smallwood on philly.com has been uh, writing articles now about the Philadelphia Union, and they are written Oof. as, like, the most surface-level, nonsensical garbage. Like, Adam Lefko has probably never watched a Philadelphia Union game and may never watch one. I swear, if I talked to him for three minutes, he would be able to write a better article with more in-depth analysis than the nonsense that John Smallwood has been writing. All right, so reread us five to one just the names. Tim Panaccio, number five, number four, Sam Carcitti, number three, Marcus Hayes, number two, Jack McCaffrey, the Delco Times, and number one, John Smallwood. Coming into the season, your top five. Bottom five. There you go. So top, we bottom won. Five. Bottom, yeah, top, bottom five. Bottom, top five. <laughs> uh, we want uh, everyone that's listening to this podcast to participate. So uh, let's hit us up on Twitter. Uh, leave us a five-star review. What do you think of Kyle's rankings? And then also, who are some names that need to be added? And then at the end of each show, we will pitch a fan vote. Someone that the, that a lot of the fans are saying over and over again. And then if myself or Russell see something, we'd like to pitch it. I am only going to throw out one thought. And my thought is this. When Mike Selsky first got to Philadelphia, people went, wow, this is great. When, um, our guy, when Russ's guy, Josh Ennis, first came to Philadelphia, wow, this is great. The Sam Carcitti article is a great example of what's the issue in Philadelphia right now, where we've had people on the same beats for way too long. And I, 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 it's not about them not doing their job well. They cover the team on a day-to-day basis. But when you're hearkening back to stories 15, 20, 30 years ago, you're never evolving. People in media typically continue to rise. They go to new things. From the high school beat, they cover the NBA beat. From the NBA beat of one team, they go to a national, and they consistently grow. We've had a lot of stagnation. And I think the one word that I would use to describe a lot of the media in Philadelphia, not all of them, not everyone, because I don't agree with everything Kyle said, is complacency. And that's the issue. That's the reason we're doing this podcast. It's the reason that, look, do you want to get angry at Kyle? Okay, then write a better fucking article. That's the last thing I'm going to say is I just think we've had people doing the same thing for a long time. And for all of us, in no matter what line of work you do, if the answer to the question, why isn't this better, this is the way it's always been done, it's not going to get better. Uh, thank you, Sealski Kyle. Sealski was others are getting, getting votes, by the way. Sealski got some votes. And you know what? Keep voting. Hit us up on Twitter at Crossing Broad. Hit up Kyle or leave in the comments section. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, comments, feedbacks. We really appreciate it. Five star reviews. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, love you very much. Uh, Russ, Kyle, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Uh, that, oh, um, no. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. That's our new thing. Five star yeah, reviews. Tell, tell one friend. Share. There you go. Tell a friend, leave a five-star review, and if you call me Ed Rendell, at least at me next time, at Joy on Broad. Thank you so very much. That's great. I would love to end this with a Russ at me, bro. So enjoy your day, everybody, and we'll be back uh, Friday. See you soon. I'd be chatting on the interweb. 
maggots prey upon the living dead. I had no interest in the things she said.